Welcome to the Good Question with Jessica Tanderup podcast. I'm Jessica, and I have a passion for asking hard questions and going deep in conversation. Usually, these discussions happen over dinner or coffee with a close friend. But on this podcast, I bring them to you because I want you to know if you have questions, you're not alone. On this show, I invite apostolic leaders, thinkers, and fellow believers to tackle the tough topics questioners face as we strive to live out our biblical mandate to love God, love people, and take the gospel to the whole world here in the 21st century. I hope you'll stick around because when you know Jesus is the answer, every question can be a good question. Hello and welcome to episode nine. As always, we are so glad you're here. Just a quick reminder, if you're enjoying this podcast, if we are adding value to your week, we'd love it if you'd support the show. There are lots of ways to support that are totally free. You can tell a friend about us, shout us out on your social media, or pop over to Apple Podcasts and leave a quick rating and five-star review. Those things are simple, quick, and free, and they actually do make a huge difference. If you want to take it a step further, you can follow the link in the show notes to Anchor, where you can sign up to support us financially at the $0.99, cent, $4.99, or $9.99 per month levels. We are always so grateful for our listener supporters. Today on the show, I'm talking to Val Hughes. Val and her husband Rick pastored for 30 years in Ponca City, Oklahoma, and they have also been active in leadership in the Oklahoma District of the United Pentecostal Church for decades. Val and I discuss a topic that I personally haven't heard addressed much in the church, and that is shame. If you're like me and you aren't sure if you even have a good grasp on what shame is or how it could be affecting your walk with God, I know this is one where you'll want to lean in close and take some notes. It is our most powerful conversation yet, and I am 100% certain it will change lives. Without further ado, here's my chat with Val Hughes. Val Hughes, welcome to Good Question. Hey, glad to be here. I'm excited to have you on today to talk about shame. And so to get us started, let's just have you introduce yourself and tell us who you are and where you're from and what you do. Let's see. My name is an odd name. It's Valora. And most people don't realize there's an A on the end of my name. And let's see. I was born and raised in eastern Oklahoma, graduated from Coweta High School. and then my husband and I married to Rick Hughes. We moved to Ponca City. We pastored in Ponca City for 30 years. We recently, last October, resigned, and we are traveling and training and teaching and embracing our new season that the Lord has called us to. And I have taught public school for 25 years. I just do a lot of things. I write curriculum for some global missions projects through GATS for for Bible schools. I have a son named Blake, and he is 23. And I guess that's that's it. I don't know what else I need to say about my life, but (laughs) I love the Lord and just love your family and known you guys forever, feel like, and just thankful to be a part of what you're doing. That's very interesting. I did not know that your name was Valera. Mm-hmm. You and I spoke on the phone several months ago. I've mentioned on a couple other episodes that since the birth of my second daughter, I've struggled with some depression. And my mom got me in touch with you to kind of 
get some counsel and get another person's input and some prayer and some support. And in that conversation, you brought up the topic of shame. And it was something that I hadn't really ever thought about how it could be affecting, you know, my, my mental state, my spiritual state. And so we talked about it briefly. You shared some resources with me and I've started delving into it a little bit. And I thought I would just like to have you come on and talk about it because you had mentioned that you feel like it's a pivotal issue for people in the church. Mm-hmm. And so I just thought that would be important for us to explore. So can you give us just a little overview? What is shame and what is it that you feel like we need to understand about it in the church? Well, shame is something that is probably the most debilitating spiritual condition that we contend with. And I would say an easy definition of shame is it's a grudge that we hold against ourselves. And when I first started learning about shame several years ago, I didn't realize how much it was impacting me in my life. And from the very beginning, I want to give honor and credit to Bishop Chester Wright, because without his materials and without his YouTubes, he has a set of four um, YouTube videos and they're called Inner Healing. Each of them are about an hour and a half long. Mm. But when I started delving into those several years ago, I immediately realized, wow, I wish I'd come across this, you know, back when I was a teenager, because it would have saved me a lot of regrets and a lot of grief and a lot of long, hard years of wondering what was wrong with me. Mm -hmm. You ask what shame is and, you know, why it's an important issue in the church. And when I started really studying shame, I had several huge revelations and aha moments because I immediately realized that the Bible does talk about shame and It's when we have shame in our lives, it becomes a roadblock to revival and harvest. And so God is completely unable to do what he wants to do through me in the world around me because of the inner shame that that I have. And there's a, a promise that we as Pentecostals are forever talking about from the book of Joel in the Old Testament you know, about God's spirit, it was the promise that God was going to pour out his spirit. This promise came before Jesus Christ was even born as a baby in in what we know as the book of Matthew. But this promise, and usually we start at verse 28, and we know, you know, that the Lord is going to pour out a spirit upon all flesh. Sons and daughters shall prophesy. Old men shall dream dreams. Young men shall see visions. And upon his men servants and maidservants, he's going to pour out a spirit in those days. And it wasn't until, I mean, I'd read my Bible through. I thought that I had taught, you know, a lot of lessons about receiving the Holy Ghost and had even taught a lot of Bible studies on my own. And when I realized that in the verses before that, in verses 26 and verses 27 of Joel 2. The Lord also said that we would eat in plenty, we would praise the name of the Lord, and that the Lord's people would never be put to shame. And verse 27, then you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. I am the Lord your God. There is no other. My people shall never be put to shame. And when I realized that I individually have to deal with the shame issue before God can do what he needs to do and pour out his spirit, I realized that we have to take care of the shame issue before God is going to do what he can do in our lives. And, you know, there's just so many if-then conditions all throughout the Bible. 
-hmm. when God is saying, you know, if you'll do this, then I'll do this. And I feel like that's one of those conditions that, of course, you know, going back hundreds and thousands of years in the Old Testament history, there was just a lot of shame that they had from their captivity. And the Lord was trying to let them know that if they didn't deal with the shame issue of all of their years of rebellion and all their years of sinfulness and choosing to be backsliders, then they weren't going to get where they needed to be come Acts and the book of Acts and all those great revivals that we love to talk about in the book of Acts. Yeah. Well, as I've thought about this topic, you know, it's one of those words that you you hear it and you and you think you kind of have an idea of what shame is, what it is to be ashamed. But I think I've never realized just how deep it can go and just how pervasive it can be as far as a mindset. And I was just doing an interview with Brother James King, who I've met with for some personal, you know, counseling and therapy. And we were talking about the concept of Mm self-talk and how how shame works itself into your self-talk and the things that you start saying to yourself that you don't even realize, I think, that you're saying, you know, like these, these messages that just repeat over and over in your head. And until you stop and examine them, you don't even realize what you're saying to yourself. I think one that, um, just to be transparent, that comes through for me a lot of times is who do you think you are? Right. To say anything, to do anything, to minister to anyone, to teach anything, to start a podcast. Like, who, who do you think you are? And it's like a, a wall that we have to break through in order, like you said, to see the promises of God and to be used the way he wants us to be used. So tell us a little bit about your experience and your story of realizing you were dealing with shame and then starting to overcome it. Well, I will start back when I was a teenager and I was a rebellious teenager and I was really involved in band working to have a music scholarship to pay my way through college. And so I was working to be an all-state bassoonist. And knew that if I could be in the Allstate Band, then I would have a full scholarship to West Texas State. And through all of that, I dated a guy that he wasn't only not in the church, he didn't go to church anywhere. And through dating him, I knew that I wasn't doing right. I knew that my heart wasn't right. And, you know, that's a source of shame when we talk about shame. A source of shame would be our own actions. You know, mm-hmm. it was what I was doing and things that I wish that I hadn't done, which was regret. So then I did become an all-state bassoonist, and then I did receive a full scholarship to West Texas State. I did go to West Texas, and it was in the middle of between my first and second year. So I was part of a group of 12 that went to Singapore, and the Willoughbys were first-year new missionaries in Singapore when I was there. And I had an experience with the Lord while I was singing in a trio in a hotel ballroom at a church service in Singapore that changed my life forever. And the Lord spoke to me, thundered and said, if you go back to Texas, you'll be lost forever. Mm. And I had to make a decision. I didn't tell anyone. I just struggled and struggled with that decision because I was still growing up thinking that I had to earn God's love. And I don't know where I got those sideways with that. And so, because I thought that serving God was all about doing more, being more. And, you know, if you're doing all these good things, then God's going to love you more. 
Well, it was easy when I wasn't doing right that just knowing that I wasn't doing right. So therefore God didn't love me. And so when the Lord told me that, I thought, well, I'm not, you know, I haven't been living right. So I was pretty sure I was going to be lost anyway. So thankfully I made the right decision because I know that if I had made the wrong decision when I got back from Singapore, I would still be lost. And, you know, my life goal was to play bassoon in the orchestra pits around the world. Mm. And, you know, what a life goal, right? Just to travel the world and haul your bassoon around and, and play. But I changed and came back and asked for a scholarship from University of Oklahoma, even though they'd offered it to me a couple years before. Surprisingly, they gave it to me. I met my husband now, Rick Hughes, that summer working at a youth camp. And fast forward to, well, a year later, we were married. And then a year and a half later, we somehow became the pastors in Ponca City. <laughs> we went to Brother Whalen and asked him to help more with the church. And he told us to drive to Punk City, look around and give him an answer on Monday. Oh my goodness. And so we did. And he said, good, you'll start Wednesday. And <laughs> it was, talk about a life altering phone call. Oh good, glad you feel good about it. You kids will start Wednesday. Oh my goodness. Well, so here I am thrust into pastoral leadership. Thank God there were only two men at the church and the church had practically shut down. And so we were in the process of having to reopen church there. But thankfully, the Lord was gracious enough not to send any more people besides two men and a, a lady who would come every once in a while for the first couple of years to let me get things straightened out. I mean, because I tell people when I became a pastor's wife, I didn't know how to pray. I didn't pray. I didn't read my Bible. I was barely back in the church. Mm. <laughs> and so because of all that, I had so much shame and exactly what you're saying. My husband was immediately like a sectional youth leader and I felt like a fraud everywhere I went. And that's all I told myself was, you know, you're a fraud. If people find out who you are, your husband's going to lose his license. He's going to hate you. And, you know, this life that you're living is just such a, a joke because if people really find out who you were, you know, I would live in fear literally of running into somebody from my high school days or from my college days, I mean, complete living in fear that someone would know me and say, you know, you're really not a Christian mm. and you, you can't be a pastor's wife because you remember. So, you know, we became a pastor in 1990. And so I struggle with that. You know, he was a section on youth leader. People were starting to look to us, you know, asking us questions. And I was thinking, you know, I'm the worst to ask questions of because I, <laughs> I don't have this together. I don't even know how to pray. And so I dealt with that for a long time. I remember going to things like youth rallies and things that were the worst. Those youth committee meetings where all the wives would like have lunch and go shopping. Mm. And those were the worst because I didn't feel like I belonged, that they were some kind of a group that I would never belong to. And I would look at them and think, you know, they're all so beautiful and they're all so stylish and here I am, and I truly felt like, you know, just the ugly duckling all the time and just hated myself. And so that turned into, I decided that I would just try to control everything by control and by perfectionism and slowly started learning how to pray. And I give honor to Sister Chenault. One time I was at a youth camp, she sat down next to me and started 
as we say, reading my mail, talking to me about things that I thought no one else knew. Mm -hmm. And I even looked at her and I said, who have you been talking to? How do you know? And she said, well, I just prayed and the Lord showed me you and told me that I was to walk with you, that you needed me to be your friend. And through that, she became, you know, such a mighty spiritual force in my life and started talking to me and working me through what I thought was just fear and what I thought was complete rejection from God. And she was always about how much God loved me. And I would just look at her and think, no, he doesn't really love me, you know, because I haven't done enough to earn or deserve his love. And so I literally lived years like that of just believing that God wouldn't forgive me. I would ask him every day to forgive me of things that I had done and never believing that God had forgiven me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's crazy to think I was a pastor's wife. My husband was in sectional leadership and that's the way I was. And I feel like there's a lot of people out there just like this. And I feel like that's one of the reasons why it took me a long time to even be able to tell this. And we've worked with Hyphen Camp for the last probably 10 or 12 years. I don't even know how long. And probably about five years ago, my husband asked me to give my testimony one morning at Hyphen Camp. And I said, At first I said, I can't, I just can't, because I was still so afraid. I gave my testimony that morning and talked about, you know, walking away from that scholarship and talked about just all the things, asking, begging God to forgive me every day and not really believing that he could and feeling like I had to earn his love and feeling like I could, I was always falling short that I could never earn his love. And I'll never forget that day after I gave it, the Lord thundered in the place and there were so many kids just you know, crying and praying and, and for the rest of the week, just telling me, Citrus, I can't believe that you even said that because that's, that's me. That's how I feel. And mm. it was just such God trying to push on me and saying, you've got to tell the story more. You know, you've got to talk about this because there's so many people who are trapped exactly the way that you thought you were trapped and not realizing that they could be free. And there's healing. And, you know, right now I feel the spirit of the Lord so strongly because I, my greatest desire is that people are not trapped in that forever. And they don't wake up every day just thinking another day of living like a fraud and another day of just thinking I never measure up and another day of thinking if I control everything and you just work so hard and it's exhausting, just exhausting work, thinking you have to do everything exactly right. And maybe, just maybe, you're going to be able to have peace like you see everyone else. And maybe, just maybe, you're going to feel the love of God that everyone else talks about. So I wrote on my notes, and I feel like I need to say this. You know, I said that a source of shame is our own actions. Another source of shame might be rejection. Some people might have abuse in their past, and that might be an opening to feel shame. You know, there's a lot of rejection and abandonment things, and it's not just as a child, but If people have experienced that, sometimes that opens the door for shame, which all of those things lead to self-destructive behavior. And I just want to say that I was never physically self-destructive, but I spent so many years hating myself and speaking destructive things to myself. Mm -hmm. And so I was self-destructive. And just like you were saying earlier, I would say the tape in your mind, yeah, you know, the audio file in your mind that just plays continuously every day, all day of just those horrible self-hatred things that I would say to myself and living with no peace 
and just being paralyzed. I think it's almost like living like Lazarus, you know, living in the tomb and just waiting for someone to help me roll away the grave clothes, but not really knowing how to do that and praying and begging God to forgive me and never, ever feeling like that I was forgiven. You're saying it and I can relate to it so much and just it's kind of like in the moment, my eyes are kind of open to this, this great lie that the devil convinces each of us individually that God loves everyone else Mm -hmm. and God forgives everyone else. Right. So as a pastor's wife, as a leader in the district, someone who's ministering to other people, teaching Bible studies, you're saying like, yeah, come to Jesus. He'll forgive you. It's washed away. But deep inside, you're thinking like, that's true for literally every other person on the planet besides me. Right. Exactly right. But we're each individually thinking that, but we're not talking about it. Right. <laughs> so we're all believing the same lie. And how how you said, like, it just, it paralyzes us individually, but it paralyzes us as the body of Christ to be able to do what God has called us to do. And I just think about, like, Satan just sitting back and laughing, saying, like, okay, I don't need you to go out and live a life of sin and debauchery. Exactly. I can completely thwart what God wants to do in you and through you while you sit on a church pew, if I can wrap you up in shame and keep you from believing the truth, which is that God loves you and he's forgiven you. And recently, Pastor Longstreth said something in a service that I knew it was true, but it felt wrong <laughs> just because of the these layers and layers of shame and, and lies that get built up on us. And he said, he said, I want us to pray collectively as a, as a body. We're going to repent collectively. He said, and once you've done that, you can look at God. And when the accuser brings up your past or sin that you've committed in the past, you can look at God and say, no, I've never done that. Right. And that is true because that's what God sees when he, mm-hmm. when he looks at us covered in his blood. And he said, why are you still believing something about yourself that God does not even believe? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, when we went to pray that prayer, it felt like in the moment, like, I can't say that because that's a lie, Mm -hmm. but it's not a lie if God says it's not a lie. Right. And if God says it's the truth, then it's the truth. And so it's not a one-time thing that we can just overcome in one day, I don't think, because you can, you can get a hold of it in the moment and taste the freedom in a moment. And then it's probably going to come back (laughs) when you're back in the car driving home. (laughs) I'm so glad that you said that because I find myself being a little frustrated at times (laughs) at places I've been when people just want to pray like, you know, one and done prayers of we're going to find shame and it's going to be gone forever. And I know with me and my experience, I'm learning to like cooked onions. I'm learning, (laughs) but I hate onions. So an onion analogy fits here. So, you know, an onion has layers and they're thick on the outside. You know, those first few layers are really thick. And to me, being healed of shame is, it takes, I'm not going to say it takes forever, but I think that instead of saying it takes forever, I think there are always, there's always another layer to get to and another layer to uncover Because, you know, the minute that we think that we're healed, then the Lord shows us through his word or, you know, a message somewhere, a sermon, even as simple as an Instagram post. And we feel it poking on our hearts and on those wounds again. And we think, oh, there's a little sore spot there. Mm. So not completely all the way healed. And I think it's 
at some point, though, I was able to move into the realization of I had done the hard work of really, and this is probably another question somewhere, but getting to the point where I could believe that I am who God says I am. Mm. And I think that that was the time that things started changing for me. It's for me to start really believing the word, the Bible that I was reading, that I am who God says I am. Because guilt says I have done wrong. So if I have unrepented sin, I'm guilty. Mm-hmm. Shame says I am wrong. And that's the huge difference. Because if we are born again believers, you know, according to New Testament born again believers, John 3, and we sin... We know that we have an advocate with the Father who is faithful. He's going to forgive us our sins. And so we live on a different promise than people who have never been born again of water and spirit. And the people who are seeped in shame, they tell themselves all day long, like I did, I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. And I can never be right enough. I have a list of some emotions of shame, mm-hmm. and I was just going to read that list. And I went back to this list when I heard you just saying some of those things. But these are some of the the emotions or the feelings. And what I've learned is that feelings are not always true. Mm-hmm. Feelings do not have to be true to be real. But these are some of the things that people feel when they have shame, inferiority, depression, fear of embarrassment, humiliation, hopelessness. There's no need to try, which is the reason that so many born-again believers don't even pray. Mm-hmm. And I'm not casting stones because I was one for a long time. If you're hopeless, then there's no need to try. And if there's no need to try, then there's no need to even pray about it. Loneliness, helplessness, feelings of being flawed, disappointment, regret, feeling of uncleanness, abiding anger with a really quick temper, which eventually is going to turn into rage. I know. Mm-hmm. I had anger issues for a long time, fear of failure, rejection, confused. There's a verse in James that talks about James 3, that if we're following wisdom that's not from above, but wisdom that's earthly, sensual, and demonic, envy, self-seeking, confusion, every evil thing are there. Because at some point, shame, the person just gets so wrapped up in themselves that they're self-seeking at some point. Yeah. And shame is a progression. Like if you had, you know, one little piece of, of mold on the orange today, tomorrow, that piece of mold has gonna gotten bigger. Mm. And next week, it's going to be bigger. Just yesterday, I bought a package of lemons, organic lemons, and I got home, put them on the counter. And by the, the next day, the entire end of one of the lemons was moldy. Mm. And it wasn't like that the day before, but that's like shame. Shame doesn't just stay contained in its one little area, but it starts, it's an overgrowth, just like mold and it, it contaminates and shame always produces more shame. Mm. And born again, people have the absence of joy and peace. I was at an event for ministers and I will be very careful here. And the speaker asked who all had joy. Mm. And I raised my hand because I can truly say that I have joy now. And I think that people that know me would say I'm a joyful person. And 
I was kind of up in the front and I didn't see what was happening behind me. And the speaker stopped and she said, out of so many people that are here, only three people raised their hands. Mm. And it was, it was a group of ministers and ministers' wives. And that struck me. And I thought, I wonder why only three people raised their hand, but they don't have joy. Another feeling of shame is unwilling or able to trust herself or anyone else. And then a lot of self-blame, can't get anything right. And that's where I became a perfectionist. I was trying to control things and try to make at least a few things right in my life. Mm. And so if, if I could make things perfect and I could control things, then at least on the outside, <laughs> I look like I had it all together. Mm. Do you find that that negative self-talk and that being so self-critical and that perfectionism, did you find that that then turned at some point and became a spirit that was critical of other people? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Or held other people to impossible standards, like including like your children or people in the church. Um, Because of how you feel about yourself, then you kind of project that onto other people. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. You know, I would like to go back and just tell everyone that was in our church from, you know, like the early 2000s, late night, you know, like from 95 till about 2005. I would just like to gather all those people in a room and say, okay, I'm sorry mm-hmm. <laughs> that I was so hard to deal with. And because I think those were the times my dad was dying of cancer and I couldn't hold all the things together. You know, things were coming apart at the seams and I couldn't keep everything, you know, my controlling perfectionist personality. I couldn't keep it all together. Yeah. And I think that's when, for me, the Lord was really allowing the pressure to really build so that I would turn to him and to healing rather than keep trying to just juggle all the plates myself and act like I had it all together. Yeah. Well, you, you've said that you now, you now you feel like you have joy and that you've, you feel like you've come out on the other side, even though it is like an onion and there's always more and more layers. How did that happen? And what would you advise people to do to start on that journey with you? Hmm. I feel for me, mine came out of desperation and such a hunger for God and some really, really loving and gracious people helping me through and talking to me about some things. Because it even kept me from getting help that I probably needed to have, like with some counseling or whatever. I didn't do that. But I think I just came to the point that I was desperate for something different. And what I was desperate for was just to have a peace of God and to realize that if God has called me to do these things, to teach Bible studies throughout the week to people and to be able to answer their questions, that the hunger to be healed became stronger than the desire to remain hidden. Mm -hmm. And I had to make peace with my past. And there's some verses in Philippians 3 that talk about that. I can only have peace with my present if I've made peace with my past. And I know that Satan gets blamed for a lot of things. But I finally had to learn that if I had any open gateways in my life, he gets in through the open gateways and through Mm. the open gateways. I mean, like anything with shame, anything with bitterness, anything, you know, any of those emotions that I talked about, those are open gateways. And so when I finally 
really started digging in the word. And I think this, it was just a slow change over time. I found the, the YouTube videos, watched those. I bought their materials, really studied those. And I'm not ashamed to admit that I've really worked on this a lot in the past five, eight years. And so even 10 years ago, I wouldn't have been as free to talk about this. Mm. And I think that I want to see people live to their potential in Jesus Christ. And so the Lord pushing me to say this, but I was going to say that there's, we always talk about these two commandments from Mark 12. And so Mark 12, 28 through 31, you know, the first of all commandments is here is real Lord, our God is one. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That's the first commandment. And the second one is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so the Lord has defined three fundamental relationships. You know, I love God. I love others. And then the huge part about shame is learning to love myself, Mm. learning to love my imperfections, learning to laugh at myself. (laughs) And I would say Mama Do Shetwell has been instrumental in that, teaching me, Val, you just need to laugh. You need to laugh at yourself. And instead of reverting to perfectionism, when I mess up, like, oh my goodness, it's just I just laugh. (laughs) And that helps me not get back into the old because, you know, when you replace one bad habit, you have to replace it with another one. Right. Right. And you have to change those neural pathways. And I also have done a lot of reading and listening to Caroline Leaf. I've read a lot of her books about how we actually the neuroplasticity of the brain, I think that has a lot to do with shame and rewiring mm-hmm. my brain so that I don't keep walking down those same roads. And when I have this thought, I'm going to replace it with the Word of God, and I'm going to use a verse, I'm going to use a principle from the Word of God to change how I do that. And again, Bishop Wright talks about this pivotal relationship and how I feel about myself. Yeah, And I think that's key to getting out from underneath this huge boulder that traps people with shame. It's like people are trapped underneath these giant rocks and they slowly just start pulling out like an elbow and then, you know, the rest of your <laughs> arm. And, and I feel like that's how healing happens. And no one's going to just wake up tomorrow morning and say, oh, no more shame, like some corny little advertisement, you know, like I had shame yesterday and I don't have shame today. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's not going to happen. Or if it does, you know, maybe they need to talk to me, but I don't think so. <laughs> because if I can't love myself, then that's going to impact every other relationship, including God. Right. Because the big thing with shame is if I feel like I'm wrong, then I can't really love God And if I can't love God, then I can't allow God to love me. And if I can't do that, then I can't love the people that are closest to me and I can't allow them to love me. Mm -hmm. And so I've been, you know, married for, this will be 31 years. And I remember in the early years of our marriage, I didn't do good with allowing my husband to truly love me because I didn't love myself. And so I was always, you know, I'm really sarcastic and I have to pray for the sarcasm to go away and I had to pray to be loving, but I'm just sarcastic by nature because I'm analytical, data-driven, you know, all those things. So I'm sarcastic. And so 
I pushed a lot of people away. And thankfully, Blake was born later in our marriage. And so, you know, do I have regrets about all of those things? Yes. But at some point, you know, you just have to give those regrets to Jesus and lay them at the foot of his cross and say, okay, Lord, this is painful, but I'm going to give it to you. And I'm not just going to keep holding onto those things as trophies of, see, that's one more thing I did wrong. Yeah. And just allowing myself to love myself and realizing that God loved me even in my sin. I remember teaching a Bible study and a lot of this came through me teaching Bible studies to someone else around their table. And I remember teaching a Bible study and I was maybe using a verse like First John or something. And I was saying, the Lord loved us even when we were sinners. And I remember saying that that day and that just like, Literally, and we use that cliche all the time, you know, it hit me like a ton of rocks. But that day, I remember it hit me really hard. And when I had the realization that God loved me, even when I was a teenager, Mm. that God loved me even in my rebellious state, and God loved me even before I was even born. And I remember that day thinking, wow, because I was trying to convince the person I was teaching the Bible study to mm. <laughs> that God loved them right. in their depravity and in their shame and in their sin. It was like the Lord saying, just because you're on the other side of the Bible study doesn't mean that this isn't true for you, too. Right. And so, you know, it's just it's just little moments like that that the Lord started really talking to me. And as I said, word replacement therapy, understanding that. Acts 24, 16 says we have to have a conscience void of offense. Well, that means that if I'm truly going to obey the word, then I can't be forever offended at myself. Mm. And so then I can have no reason for shame before God. And, you know, there's just so many verses that I truly didn't want to read them Mm. because I didn't really think that they applied to me. And over the years you know, realizing that God does love me and shame leads to an absence of love and an absence of love leads to the destruction of my self-concept. And I feel like that when we talk about self-esteem, we're only talking about it at a surface level. When I think about all the approval seeking behaviors that I did, trying to get people to approve of me, all because I just had shame. You can't just stop at the self-esteem thing because, you know, there's a lot, it's like the iceberg, you know, there's a lot underneath the surface. For sure. Yeah. I think sometimes we have to just get out of ourselves and look at it from a different perspective. And I'm thinking about like my little girls and how much I love them, no matter what, you know, even when they do things wrong, even when I'm disappointed in their behavior or it's not because I think that they're bad or that I want them to make better choices or I, you know, (laughs) I want them to, to grow and to be everything that they can be, but I love them no matter what. And I see, you know, my oldest is five and I see her already if she gets in trouble or that sort of thing. And you see like that weight, like her little shoulders hunch over and she buries her face and, and she's ashamed. Yeah. And I want her to be repentant and I want her to be sorrowful when she does something wrong, but I do also want her to know that, you know what, mommy forgives you and we're going to work on doing better next time. And we're going to move on and we're not going to make this right. a whole day or a whole week of us. Just let's just shame you for this horrible thing that you did, you know, as a five-year-old Right. and coming out and realizing like how much more God loves me and how much more he wants me to walk in confidence of that love 
and not in the shame of, of feeling like I should have known better or feeling like I should have done better. Because like you said, you do get stuck and you can start trying to come out of it. And then, like you said, look back with the regret of, oh, I wish I had done this sooner. And then it throws you right back into it unless you push ahead and say, no, it doesn't matter how many years I've lived like this. There is something worth me coming through on the other side, you know, whether that's so that I can do what God called me to do for me so that I don't perpetuate this cycle into my girls so that I show them a better way to live actually in freedom. You know, and I think it's, it's learning to live in the Lord's love and in his peace. Mm. And I truly had to learn and do that. You know, I have a lot of daily affirmations that I say, and I would be willing to share those with people. I have a daily declaration and I started off by saying, I belong to you, the King of Kings. I am your daughter. I am forgiven. I am cleansed. I am healed. My body is whole. I have your mind, the mind of Christ. And there's just a lot of things that I say there. And I try to do this every day. I am complete in you, Jesus. You love me for me, not for what I do. And, you know, even still today, I, and when I say today, I mean, you know, at this moment in my life, I still walk the road of physical stuff for the last several years and especially the last year. And, you know, years ago, I would have just thought that God wasn't healing me because he didn't love me. Mm. And I don't feel that now. And I know that I can have peace knowing that I just say, you know, I'm healed today and I am whole in Jesus Christ and leave it at that. And realizing that I can enjoy his peace and his righteousness because it's always his righteousness. It's never mine. You know, I will never be good enough in my own filthiness. You know, the Bible says that our righteousness is filthy rags. And Mm. it's because of his blood that he shed for me that made me righteous. His blood that made me innocent. His blood that made me clean. Like you said about, you know, Pastor Longstreth. The only reason I can say that is because Jesus Christ shed blood for me at the whipping post. He died on the cross for me. And because of that, he is my advocate. And I am covered by the blood of Jesus Christ because I was baptized in his blood. And I'm in covenant with him. And so I can put on his blood and I can put on his spirit and I can put on his righteousness. And feel like I am covered. And that is the restoration that Joel too talked about, you know, that reconciliation of my sinful self back to Christ and realizing that I am covered, that I am from Ephesians 2, you know, I'm seated with God in heavenly places, that my life is hidden in Christ. I am connected to him. And this morning I was thinking, when I was just thinking about this podcast and praying about it, I was like, you know, We are kings and queens in the kingdom of God. And I couldn't have even said that I was a queen of the kingdom of God 30 years ago. Mm. I would have laughed and said, no, (laughs) but I truly believe that today, you know, that we are kings and priests in the kingdom of God and we are royalty and it's not because of me, but it's because of him and It's the will of God to fill us with joy and peace. It's the will of God for me to be healed. It's the will of God for me to be whole and for me to be at peace. But the thing is, I had to decide that I wanted to be free. Mm. 
because I had to make up my mind and you asked the question, how did I get there? You know, I had to one day decide, I am tired of living like this and I feel like there's more in the kingdom. Yes, I was filled with the Holy Ghost. I was baptized, but I had to come to the realization that there was a road of healing that I had to walk. And I'm so glad that I did and so glad that I've done all the work that I've done. But I had to decide to be free. I had to give the Lord permission, you know, and I had to say, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready for you to come and me be Lazarus and you pull me out and take the grave clothes off so that I could become unparalyzed and I could be walk the road of healing. I wanted to read a quote. This is quote is from Gershon Kaufman and it said, shame is a sickness of the soul. The most poignant experience by the self, whether felt in humiliation or cowardice or in a sense of failure to cope successfully with a challenge. Shame is a wound felt from the inside, driving us both from ourselves and each other. And when I read that quote, I thought that is so true. It's a wound felt from the inside. Mm -hmm. You know, people looking at anyone with shame. They would never know in a million years, but it's a wound that's felt from the inside. Would you mind to say a prayer for anyone who's listening to this that is, has realized they need to walk out of shame? Absolutely. And before I do, I felt in the Holy Ghost to do something right before I pray. And there's a song by Natalie Grant. It's called Clean. Mm. And I'm just going to read a few of the lyrics and then I'm going to pray. And this is her lyrics. I see shattered, you, Jesus Christ, sees whole. I see broken, but you see beautiful. You're helping me to believe that you're restoring me piece by piece. And this is the part that I wanted someone to hear today. There's nothing too dirty that God can't make worthy. And I want someone to hear today that Jesus Christ can wash you. He can wash you in his mercy. And what is dead now can live again. And you can come alive again because no one has too dirty of a heart for God to heal them. Lord, right now, Lord, I pray for your spirit to work through this podcast. Lord, I know, Lord, that you desire for us to be healed more than we even want to be healed. Lord, you desire for us to have joy and peace and a walk in the revelation of who we are in you, Lord. That we are kings and we are queens or princes, Lord, in your kingdom, Lord. Lord, we are blood-bought. We are. We have been bought with a price, Lord. You paid a great price, Lord, for us, Lord, to be free. And Lord, I pray that those who are bound today by shame, Lord, that they will turn to their Bible, Lord. They will, they will turn, Lord, to these resources that this podcast is making available, Lord, and they will turn to you, Lord, and realize that they don't have to live paralyzed. They don't have to live in this state, Lord, that they feel like they're in, Lord, but through you, Lord, there is peace and there is joy and there's forgiveness, Lord, because, Lord, when we ask you to forgive us of our sins, if we've been washed in baptism in the blood of Jesus Christ, Lord, you forgive us the first time, Lord, and we do not have to keep asking you to forgive us, Lord, because we, you have forgiven us the very first time, and, Lord, today I just speak hope, and I speak healing, and I speak peace, Lord, over anyone who listens to this podcast, and, Lord, it's through your power, it's through your name, 
And it's through your death, burial, and resurrection, Lord, that we can live again, Lord Jesus. I pray, Lord, resurrection, Lord, to lives that are thought dead today, Lord. I speak healing and I speak resurrection, Lord, to those who feel like that they are just lost and have no hope, Lord. I pray that they would just have the the strength. And I pray that you would give them courage today, Lord, to believe that their lives could be different, Lord, and just let them just rest in your in your peace, Lord, in the peace of this moment, Lord. And I just thank you, Lord, for your healing touch, Lord, for all of us, Lord. And I just give you all praise and all glory, Lord, for the knowledge and for the strength and for your mighty atoning blood today, Lord. I love you and I thank you, Jesus. Ooh, thank you for that. Well, it feels a little strange to do this now, but <laughs> but we will wrap up the way that we always do, which is at the end of every episode, we're asking all of our guests, what is a good question that you're asking lately? Well, I have several questions and I'll start with the most serious one first and then I'll end with my my sarcastic one. How's that? <laughs> so a question that I'm asking, that's a serious question. How will I advance God's kingdom this year? And what will all of our responses be to culture in 2021? Mm. And then my sarcastic question that if anyone has ever sat by me in church, <laughs> I'm sorry in advance because I always do this. So my question is this, why do preachers say stand to your feet? <laughs> or why do preachers say, let's stand this morning? Because I always think, no, I think I'll stand on my knees or my elbows. <laughs> I mean, I just want to like stand to my knees and say, how about knees? How about elbows? How about hands? <laughs> or uh, no, I think I'll wait till tomorrow. <laughs> when they say stand this morning. No, I, I want to stand here till tomorrow. How about tomorrow? They always say the funniest things. And I, I just always laugh and I'm always sarcastic. And I was sitting by my husband the other day in a church service somewhere and someone said that and I looked at him and I was like, no, I think I'll wait till tomorrow. And he was like, Oh my word, <laughs> just stand up. <laughs> Not this again. <laughs> yes. So I just am always curious why people say stand to your feet or yeah. why don't we stand this morning? <laughs> <laughs> Those are the kinds of questions that I always ask myself as well. Yes. So now that I've messed up everyone for church, we probably better not sit together. <laughs> oh, well, I appreciate so much that you came on to, to have this conversation. It was, I could feel the power of God and the anointing over it. And I, I know that it's going to touch somebody. I appreciate it so much. I can't wait to see you in person, hopefully this summer um, yeah. camp meeting or sometime we can get back together when the world starts to get back to normal. So I, I look forward to it. Absolutely. Can't wait to see you and your precious little girls and your hubby. Phew, friends, if you're digging around in your glove box for a tissue or feel like you need to find a prayer closet, you are not alone. This conversation rocked me as it happened and again when I listened back to it in preparation for today. It is one I will be thinking about for a long time, I have no doubt, as I continue the work of peeling back the layers of shame in my own life. I hope it challenged you to do the same and that it encouraged you that you can live a life free from shame and full of joy. If there's someone in your life who needs to hear this message of hope, and I can't imagine anyone listening who doesn't know someone like that, I encourage you to share this episode with them. 
There is too much for us to do as the body of Christ for any member to be constrained by the grave clothes of shame. You can search for us on Facebook and on Instagram, we're at Good Questions Show. You can find me at Jessica Tanderup. That's Jessica T, as in Tuesday, A-N-D-E-R-U-P. If you're interested in becoming a listener supporter, there's a link there to Anchor as well. The Good Question with Jessica Tanderup podcast is hosted and produced by me, Jessica Tanderup. My co-producer, editor, and the man who makes sure I have a box of tissues and a cup of coffee before I hit record is my husband, Dave Tanderup. Our sound engineer is Josh Bowalczyk. We'll be back in your ears next week with another good question. See y'all then.